tell you what, everybody loves a good comeback story, right? Yeah. Especially when it's against the New York Yankees. But, uh, you know, it, it was so fun to watch that last night. Uh, at, we had service first, me and the three other people that were here. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they left before the service was over so they could get in on the first the game. But... Uh, no, I'm kidding. We had a pretty good group last night, and I got home, I DVR'd it. What a game. How fun. You know what my dream is for you? My dream for you is that 2018 will be a comeback year for you. You say, Mark, it's still kind of uh, October 2017. I know, I know. But I think there are some basic decisions that we need to make before the end of this year. Some ground floor decisions that we need to walk together through before the end of this year that will cause 2018 to be the year that you've been dreaming that it would be. That, that marriage of yours that's in, in turmoil right now, my dream is that sometime in 2018, by the end of 2018, it becomes the sweetest thing in your life. That, that addiction that you're fighting, that you're going to find a way... To, to break through that, that, that depression that you've felt maybe all your life, that you're going to find a way to manage that, to figure out what you need to do and how God wants to enable you to think in a way that, that causes some change in that, even if it's organic, even if it's something that you're going to deal with in your life, but there's some things that, there's some breakthrough that can happen. That son or daughter that's far from God, or maybe it's a husband or wife, or maybe it's you. That there would be this turnaround in that, that you would sense that. And so, these ground floor decisions we want to make over the next few weeks. In fact, I don't know when I've been more excited about what the next few weeks are going to hold for us as community of faith. Because we're going to walk together through that. Pull out your sermon notes today, you see them there. I've got some blanks for you to fill in. And... Uh, I want us just to talk about some of the very basics, getting back to basics so that we're ready for 2018 and whatever it holds for us, that we're ready for it. I wanted to just start, a lot of you have seen our logo, you see it up right there, you, if you look real close it's kind of watermarked behind your sermon notes there, you know it's one of those things where if you stare at it long enough, there it pops out at you, but there's some things about that logo that I want you to notice because it says a lot about us. You see the world there in the middle and there's a big cross right in the middle of the world because we want to bring heaven to earth. We want to bring God's kingdom to bear upon this prodigal planet of ours. And one of the ways we're going to do that, the two circular lines that you see going around the outside. I want you to write this down, put this in the blank. Those two lines represent where function and mission meet where function and mission meet see one of the things that I've noticed about us in this kind of winding down of the great Roman Empire of the United States kind of a feel as as we're kind of in that last almost it seems like a toilet flush of like circulate circulating down the tubes right and morally and all these things we've we see all this stuff going on that we're dysfunctional. We have become dysfunctional and that leads us to despair and disillusionment. 
discouragement, all of these things. And, and, and God's got something more for us. He wants to teach us how to function. He wants to t- make us functional again. And this is what he created church for. To, to almost to reparent, almost to refamily us in a sense, you know. Because some of you are really dysfunctional. But can I just tell you, many of you, I've met your parents and you're doing pretty good, actually. But, but here's the thing. It, it's God wants us. To, and then missional is where we get in on his purpose and his dream for us. Now, some of you are going like, oh, that's great. I can't wait till I'm not dysfunctional anymore, that I'm totally functional. Then I can be missional. No, that's not what I'm saying. You see it? They're there at the same time. You don't have to wait to become totally functional to be on God's mission with him and what he wants to do in your life and in your family and in your workplace and around this globe of ours. I remember Laura and I had been on the mission field in Mexico City about five years or so and I came back to speak at some churches and Second Baptist Houston had asked me to to speak in their services and I, I remember sharing our mission journey and, and, and some of the funny things that had happened and then some of the amazing things, some of the sad things and at the end of the service there was this long line of mostly 20 to 30 year olds that were in line and, and, and just wanted to talk to me about mission and what that meant and I remember this one young guy in particular, I, I've told some of you this story but he came up to me and he said, he just kind of grabbed me by the shoulders, he said, Mark. I just wish I could be a missionary, but I suffer from depression. And I grabbed him right back by the shoulders and I said, dude, you are in luck because they will give you Prozac over the counter in Mexico City. And he was like kind of taken back. I said, yeah, man, we missionaries, we go after that stuff like candy, you know. It's like, no, you wonder why missionaries are so excited and happy? He was just stunned. You know, and I said, missionaries are the most dysfunctional people around. You didn't know that? Don't wait until you're totally functional to be on mission with God. God wants to take, I mean, if God didn't use dysfunctional people, who would he use actually, right? Think about that for a minute. And there's so many areas of our life that we're dysfunctional. One of the things I love about this church, let me just give you an example of dysfunction. I love the donuts here. How many of you love the donuts at this church? Now, my favorite donut, I call it the pastoral donut. It's the cake one, okay? How many of you love this one best? Who likes it best, right? Right? All right, you like it best? Come here, I've got one for you right here, right on the front row, yeah. This one's yours. I didn't even handle this one, I promise. The pastoral donut. There you go. You're welcome. Enjoy that. Have you ever watched a functional person eat a donut? Probably not. But I have. I, I, uh, what I did, I followed for a while. I, you know, I don't eat functionally. I, I really don't. I, I, I realize that. You can kind of tell that. I put on my Astro shirt. Dad goes, hey, you got something? You know, my dad's always encouraging to me. Got the gift of encouragement. And, um, but I followed slender people around for a while. And you know, they, they, they love the church donuts too. You know, is, is a donut sin? Is broccoli holy? No. But they're going like, man, I'm with you. I love this. And you know, they'll kind of pick around the edges like that, you know. 
and we'll be talking and they'll do that like three times and then they go like this. And then I go like this. What, what did you just do? That is a pastoral donut. And you notice I'm kind of on my knees a little bit, right? You know, in worship. But so I'm looking at it and I'm going like, how did you do that? What did you do? I don't even understand what's going on here. Because they'll say something crazy like, well, I'm full. I'm looking at them like, what? What does that have to do with anything? Right? I mean, really, seriously. You ask a slender person, and you know what they do? They they say, um, well, I mean, you probably, your metabolism's probably slower than mine. Because they know if you really follow them around and you see them do that, you will hate them. Right? Because they're still in touch with hunger and fullness in their life. They're still in touch with their, the, the hunger and fullness idea in their body that God created us with. But most of us are trying to, to fill, you know, these holes in us by eating. That's just one of the areas that we're so dysfunctional. And I, that's me. My dream is by the end of 2018, I'll be at a whole different weight. I'm praying that for you too. Not because I go on a diet. Not because broccoli's holy, you know. But because... I learned how to get in touch with function in my eating. I have so many dreams for you. I really long for you to be walking in what God has for you. And I believe that, that, that it's, it's such good things that he wants for us. Some of you, he wants to pour resources on you that you haven't even imagined. So that you can be a channel for his kingdom. And you're not walking in that at all right now because you've totally clogged that up. There's so many areas of our life. We're talking about God's action in us. Now, some of you are going like, this sounds an awful lot like that, you know, self-help bullcorn stuff. Bullcorn is a pastoral word. And um, it just sounds like, you know, what is that? I don't get that. I, I, I just... That donut keeps calling my name down there. Even into It just sounds like it can't be true. But this is nothing less than God action in us. God working in us. And don't confuse simple with easy. Simple means even a child can understand it. Easy means it won't cost you anything. This will cost us everything. That's what Jesus said. It's going to cost you everything to follow me. But I can show you how to do it, he says. We can do this together. God's way of life change. The one who created us, he gave us some principles to change our lives. And if 2018 is going to be our year, and I believe for us it is, the year we've been waiting for, we've got to come to those areas in our life that are dysfunctional and see what God wants to do about that. To be ready. We've got to make these ground floor decisions. And we're going to walk through these the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. And it's going to change us. I hope you'll be here for that because this could be the most life-changing month of Sundays. Month and a half that you've ever had. But if we're going to get there, we've got to know the truth first. It's only truth 
that sets us free. It's not always fun, but it, it, it's what sets us free. So I want you to look at this. We're just going to go through some truths real quickly this morning. Let's just look at them. Number one, the truth about God. These are some of the things that lay the foundation for us, okay? The truth about God. One of the big ten is in Exodus 20, verse 3. The big ten commandments. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Philosopher Peter Kreeft says this. Write this down. The opposite of theism, that's belief in God, is not atheism. That's what we've always thought. But idolatry. It's idolatry. It's having many gods. You see, even when you talk to an atheist, if you get very deep, even if they're the most devoted, which is a, a, an unusual word maybe you would use for an atheist, you begin to find there's some things that they worship, whether it's intellect or academia or, or you know, you'll just start to find there's maybe certain things and they, they do have a God still because we were created by God to worship. All of us will choose to worship something look at one of my verses that in the in the prophet jeremiah these these verses have always haunted me jeremiah this is god talking to him he says god says my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me that's the first thing they've done and then even though i'm the fountain of living waters They've gone out and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've gone out and said, I'm looking, I'm thirsty, I see that I need to worship, I see that, you know, I long for purpose, I long. So they begin to make their own little things that they think is going to satisfy and it never satisfies that relationship. If I could just marry that girl. I know that would, and it's, no, it's a broken cistern. And you've discovered that. We've got to go around and find, in 2018, all the little idols we've set up in the rooms of our lives. And, and, and get rid of them. No more kneeling to a donut God, you know. just in, You can enjoy what God has given us. But we're not going to kneel before it. I want you to see, second, the truth about you. The truth about who you are because this is foundational to us for 400 years mainstream science believed that our brain was unchangeable and that the anatomy of the brain was hardwired from about age four or five on some thought three year three on when computers came into play you had those giant rooms full of computers at IBM and those supercomputers. They compared the brain to a computer. But one thing that computers can't do is change themselves. And so we really were getting into thinking about it that way. And then along came some amazing technology. CAT scans, PET scans, MRIs. And a new group of people, neuroscientists. And what they did is they began to study how the brain worked. Because they could actually see the way that it worked by looking at these things. And what they realized is that our brain is totally changeable. It's changeable. You know, used to, before they began to realize this, they would say, well, it's not changeable. So that's just the way it is, you know. You have an addiction, you're just going to have to live with it because your brain is hardwired toward that addiction. Harvey Weinstein, you're, you're stuck, man. 
you know? This is just how it is. This is who you are. There's no changing that, okay? But now, we know something different. And it's interesting that the Bible's been saying this for a long time. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.14. Paul is talking and he says, but the people's minds were hardened. And if you look at that in the original language, it shows this process. They're adults. But as they began to say, I'm going this way, I'm going to do this. And they began to practice certain things. Their minds got hardened into that practice of sin. That's what he's talking about. There's a word, neuroplasticity. Maybe you've heard it. In about the 70s, some brilliant scientists realized with the MRI and the PET scan and the CAT scan that with every habit formed with even every thought that was repetitive for an extended length of time every action that was repeated and repeated and repeated that the structure of our neurons actually moved and switched and rewired Norman Deutsch said the idea that the brain can change its own structure and function through thought and activity he said and he's a renowned Neuroscience. He said, I believe that's the most important alteration in our view of the brain since we first sketched out its basic anatomy. It's so interesting that what science discovered in the last 50, 60, 70 years, the Bible's been saying for 2,000 years. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect listen to it in the new century version do not be shaped by this world instead be changed within by a new way of thinking then you will be able to decide what God wants for you you will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect think of some of the areas that that we need to rewire overworking overeating overuse of alcohol drugs overspending grief guilt anger fear Rage, anxiety, overcoming divorce, abuse, sexual addictions, codependency, insecurity, hypochondria, hurtful relationships, gambling, lying, procrastination, the need to control, all of these things. Someone said, can we just have a category that says all of the above? And some of us, yeah, that's us. One of the things that cutting edge science teaches is there's this thing called competitive plasticity. What does that mean? That means that whatever you focus your attention on, the brain begins to wire toward. Whatever you begin to focus on, your brain begins to rewire toward that. Have you ever watched a young child learning how to play the piano? It's painful looking, isn't it? I mean, it's just like, it's jerky, and but if you go back two years, if they've been doing it for two years and they've been faithful at it and they've taken those lessons, all of a sudden, what happened? The brain is wired, so all of a sudden this grace comes. And they begin, it just flows. Now what if they don't do it from about age 10 and they don't pick it up again until age 40? It's all jerky again because the brain rewired again. There's still some little things in there that help it move a little faster, but the brain will keep moving. 
it's important that we understand God made us to change. God made us to wire toward him. And as we do that, everything begins to move. Some new age people would call it something like synchronicity, where it's like everything lines up together. But God planned that way before they ever figured that out, right? As we begin to move toward him. I want you to see the truth about the Bible. Because we're talking about how to integrate our faith through every part of our lives. And I know, can I just tell you, every one of you in here this morning has faith. You say, I don't think I have faith. And you've been praying for more faith. You don't need more faith. You have faith. You know how I know that? Because you're sitting in a chair right now. You have chair faith. You don't know where I got that chair from. Could have got it at Ikea. You know, you don't know. You don't know. I might have put that chair together myself. That would be really sad that you're sitting in it and you're trusting it. But you sat down in that chair and you didn't even think about it. You just had chair faith. You didn't know if, how many people had spilt coffee in it before you sat on that, did you? And I imagine several, okay? That's why they're brown like that. You have chair faith. They didn't start out brown. Yeah, they did. Um, chair faith is just sitting on a chair. I'm, I got chair faith. You had car faith to get here. You have building faith that it's not going to fall in on you. You got faith. Now I want you to take that little molecule of faith. Jesus said all you need is like this tiny, almost microscopic seed of faith and put it in a great big God. You just need to focus your faith And place your faith in the right place. And he said, if you do that, you can say to this mountain, move. And it'll be cast into the sea. That's what he said. It's amazing how we can do this. But we have to know what God says. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord. Now this is really unusual for Paul to say, Now, I'm telling you this, and God's telling you this, okay? A lot of times he'd say, now, this is my opinion. And so you could say, okay, this is Paul's opinion. Sometimes he would say, I feel like God's really showing us this as the church. But rarely would he say, I'm telling you this, and God is telling you this, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. What does that even mean? You're saying, well, I guess I'm not a Jew, so he must be talking to me. I'm a Gentile. Or I am a Jew, so he's not talking to me. That's really not the best way to understand it. If you take it and you move it into our culture, the best way to see what Paul is trying to say here, he's saying, literally, don't think like a worldling. Don't think like someone, who's a worldling? A worldling is someone who thinks this is it. This is all there is. There's no ultimate anything. There's no ultimate right and wrong. There's no ultimate Seeing God, God's not over this. There's just us, here, now, done, finished, die, over. That's a worldly. And it affects everything about how they live. And he says, if you walk like that, you will walk in the futility of your mind. And that literally means in the Greek, void of purpose. You won't even understand the point of anything. You'll be void of purpose. God's word is what begins to open up the understanding of what it's all about. The understanding of of purpose and meaning and mission that God has us on. In fact, Psalm 119, 130, I love because David was always talking about what God's word did. It says, your word is a doorway 
that lets in light and helps gullible people understand. And we're going to get some principles, some ground floor foundational principles and step into them over these next few weeks. And many of us haven't done that yet. And it's going to change and it's going to set a groundwork and cause a groundswell of God beginning to move in our lives. Look at number four, the truth about hard times. 2017 has been a really hard time for a lot of you. You know, we, we really needed that win last night in a sense, right? You know, so we could like have something to like get our minds off of all that's been going on in our lives. And, but I got something even better than that. Because I'm not sure the Astros are going to beat the Dodgers. And you know what? Even if they do, it won't last very long. Because it'll be a broken cistern. Now you can love it and you can enjoy it as long as you don't use it like a, I'm going to find my strength here I'm going to find my you see the difference the Bible says this God comes alongside us when we go through hard times and before you know it he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us this is what he wants to do we're talking about a story of pain it's your story I can tell you many many of you I could put your story up here right now on the big screen and there wouldn't be a dry eye in the house. But God wants to walk with you in this story. Because he has a, he has a purpose. It didn't, it's not from him, okay? The pain that we feel. The pain comes because we live in this messed up world of ours. It's totally off because of sin. Those things come into our lives. But God can use those things and he can do something. He has a, a purpose in it. He wants to bring you alongside others. It's right here in this church. You know what's interesting? You know what I found? That people, when I talk to someone that's under about age 40 in America today, they really don't, they're not concerned about whether I can prove that Jesus actually died on the cross or not. Most of them, they're not, that's not their big concern. If you could just prove to me and, you know, I can go through all of these proofs, extra biblical and historic. And, you know, there's more proof that Jesus died on the cross than that Caesar lived when you get down. Well, all of those things, that was great at one time. They don't care about that now. Okay? Because they'll always say, even if you totally proved it and they totally saw it, they would say, that's a good truth for you. You live it, boy. Go get it. But I got a different, a, a different story here going on. Okay? What they want to be a part of is the most compelling story now. They're not even asking if it's true or not. I just want to be in the most compelling story. And you know what? Many of our young people are spending their lives on a Kim Kardashian story. That's sad to me. Who's got the most compelling story in the universe? We do. And we need to tell our stories. And we need to let them know that. The story is so compelling when you really understand what God has done for us and how he's reached down to us and how he's changed you and me. Who would not want to be in on that? Lastly, truth about the church. Truth about the church because basically, you know who created church? It wasn't some medieval monk. He said, oh, I think I'll just figure out a way to do church, right? 
It wasn't some bunch of bishops that got together. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Have you ever been to one of those churches where the pastor kind of talks down to you and he goes, yeah, you know, and it's almost like he's saying, you're so bad and you've got... And you're going like, I already know that, right? I've, I've been there. I'm like, I already know all this. I want hope. Give me hope that I can be the husband that I've dreamed of being. I could be the, the person that I, I, I've hoped to be. Give me hope that things can be different for me. I already know I'm bad. Give me hope. That's what church is supposed to be. Some of you, you'd like to make a difference in someone's life, but you just feel so dysfunctional I mean that's why you feel at home here because we're all dysfunctional people say the first thing someone asks when they come into a new group of people who's here like me wow look at all these dysfunctional people I feel so at home but you say I wish I could be more functional that's what he gave us each other for that's what the church is for the church is to be a family together we are almost like getting reparented Again, we are almost refamilied again. It's like God is doing this and he's made us family. In those old-fashioned churches that you go to every once in a while, they'll still call each other brother and sister. That's a beautiful concept, right? We are brothers and sisters. Single guy out there, that good-looking girl you keep looking at, she's your sister. Change your thinking, you know? It's like we're brothers and sisters together. And we come from dysfunctional places. The Bible says this. Be real with each other. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other. So that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God. Is something powerful to be reckoned with. Confess your sins to each other. I love to do what the Bible says. We're going to take five minutes. You turn to the person you don't know next to you and tell them your five worst sins. Nobody's moving. I'm kidding you. That's not really what this verse is trying to say. What this verse is saying is be real with each other, brothers and sisters. The Bible says that our love should be sincere. I love that word sincere. It comes from the Latin, sincere, without wax. And you know what that means? Back in the old days, um, they would have these beautiful pots, but they wouldn't last very long. And they would get all these cracks and crevices in them. And they would go in and they would cover them, fill in all the cracks and crevices with wax. And then they would repaint them and it looked beautiful. And that's what some of us try to do. You were just yelling at your kids. Kids! We're going into church now. You better not show any cracks, right? Maybe you literally meant that, but it's just like, You're going like, you know, we gotta, we got to cover up. I did say last night, I can always tell when I make a blooper because I said last night, it's, we need to show our cracks to one another. And, and, and everybody just like was like this and looking around. And... You know what I'm talking about. Let's be real. You, I know, you're, you're cracked up. You're a cracked pot, right? It's like, I get it. But just be real. We can show that to each other. It's okay. No one's going to look down on you. No one's going to say anything. Sincere. Without wax. If we do that, it's going to change everything. It 
it says you're going to be healed. You're going to be healed. So let's do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always, he always, he always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Some years ago, Laura decided she wanted to jump out of an airplane. It wasn't because our relationship was that bad. She had always, she's just, she's just the most physically daring of the two of us. I said, I will definitely get the t-shirt and watch from the ground as you do that, you know. But you know what they do when you jump out of an airplane? They, they do this tandem thing. And I didn't really realize how it all worked, but I just couldn't even imagine, you know, just jumping solo out of an airplane and trying to figure out how to pull the cord and do it. I thought, that just sounds like a recipe for disaster. And what they do, though, is they get someone that has walked that way before, that has jumped out a few hundred, maybe a few thousand times before, and they have this big harness, and they attach you to them. And I, I remember Laura got attached to this, like, extremely great-looking guy. I was like, I don't which I'm sure was irre- irrelevant to her enjoyment. But it was like, it, it was like so he's like, he, he's like got her. And she's attached to him. And even if she would have got scared at the end, you know, here he goes. He's, he's like going up to the edge. And you could almost say, I don't want to go. But it's too late because he's there, right? And off they go. And she said, it's like flying. She said, it's awesome. See, they had said, they said to her, they said, it, it, you don't feel like you're falling. See, I thought it feel like falling the whole way. I just imagine like, ah, you know. That's like a bad dream I just had last night. No, you, don't, you can't tell you're falling until you get within 200, 300 feet from the ground. And then they said it's too late if you feel like you're falling. You'll never have time to pull the cord or do anything, okay. Which again encouraged me to stay on the ground. But she said it's like you're flying. And then you've got this. This confidence because behind you is this big strong guy that he knows exactly what he's doing. He's done it a million times and he'll, he, he picked up her arm and, and, and pointed, you know, it, be watching as she's dropping. She's got this little watch-like thing on her arm that's showing where she needs to get down to whatever feet she was going to pull open the cord. And she says, we pulled the cord and then it's like floating. That's awesome to watch her come all the way to the ground. These next few weeks, that's what we're going to do with you. It's going to be like tandem, okay? Some of you are, are, are kind of already bunched up and freaked out. Oh, I'm going to feel like a fool. I don't want to jump out by myself. We're going to set it all up each week. And I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen next week, but you're going to love it. I'm just telling you. It's going to make a huge change, and it's not going to be scary at all. It's going to be something about serving. I'll give you a little hint, Okay. But it's going to be we're all in it together. We're jumping tandem together. And we're going to do that each week. We're going to have specific things that we actually do right here at the end of a service. That we'll walk with you. We'll do it with you. 